Confessions of an Eco-Warrior, the podcast which explores the possibilities, challenges and contradictions of attempting to reduce our impact on the planet. I'm Becky. And I'm Mac. And this week's episode is called Horde of the Things because we are talking about the relationship we have with our belongings and how our belongings impact the environment. Okay, so before we get into today's topic, once again, we have to explore our eco-fails or eco-worries because nobody is perfect and we want to kind of celebrate our fails and worries with you as well as our successes. Absolutely. Okay, Becky, you want to go first? Okay, so I don't so much have an eco-fail this week, but I definitely have an eco-worry. So I've been on a bit of a a a different kind of diet recently, which means it's been a lot more vegetarian. Um, And thinking about how I can do this more long-term, because I am a massive carnivore. I love meat. I'm also a really fussy eater, um, so it means that my diet is sometimes a little bit more boring. Anyway, trying to think about how I can do more vegetarian, maybe even it's Monday to Friday, and how to do that in a way that's going to be a less of an impact on the environment. That's really great. Okay. Yeah. So I guess my worry about it is that when, so I posted on social media, asking for a sort of hive mind about what people's thoughts and advice were, and then it got into this big discussion about um, meat replacement products aren't always that's great. You have to think about their carbon footprint um, and all these different charts about how certain things that you think are good like chocolate but depending on where it's been made and where it's coming from can actually be a lot worse than you having an egg or some chicken and oh, it wow. just it becomes really confusing and then I, and then almost I think it's one of those typical sort of environmental sustainability anxiety mode things where you're like oh well actually I don't know what to do for the best so I've had a little bit of a research into different companies producer so like Linda McCartney's Quorn, Vivera to see where their products come from how they produce them um, and I'm going to try and kind of at least start to make some better decisions um, and I'm hoping that by having kind of particularly less red meat having less chicken having less bacon will still be a really positive thing but it's something that I'm still feeling a little bit stressed about yeah I can totally understand that that's a really good example of something I've heard loads of people talking about Mm -hmm. of like you want to make this shift but like you say like if you're a fussy eater or if you're not really a massive vegetable eater like Mm -hmm. this can be really hard to do um and it's really easy to say just switch to vegetarian but actually it does get more complicated and then it just makes you not want to do anything yeah, at all but at the end of the day we're looking for solutions we know the problem we know the environmental impact of things but if you're trying to reduce your meat anything you're doing like in some is positive in its own way for the animals fundamentally yeah, um and then so. yeah do you know what i mean there's there's so many benefits but that's really good that you're doing the research at least that's really awesome well done and so what's your eco fail or worry of the week mine's definitely another eco fail so I saw this recipe for a beetroot cake, right? Not sure In... how appetising that sounds. <laughs> well, I've had a chocolate courgette cake that wowed the crowds at a birthday party, and I was loving it. And I love a carrot cake, and I thought, oh, I can. this sounds amazing. We've mm-hmm. got beetroot, we get this veg boxes delivered. And I was like, we've got beetroot come in. This recipe looks amazing. It was in the Waitrose magazine. So I was like, wow, <laughs> that's definitely going to be good. But it was really intricate with all these different ingredients and different elements to put together before you even put it in the bowl and mixed it. So it was like chopping up the beetroot, which is messy anyway. And then you have to soak the sultanas in fresh orange juice. And there was like almond flour and loads of different components. Anyway, it took hours, hours to make. 
and it was absolutely disgusting oh no <laughs> so like with the best of intentions of using up all of these other things that i happen to have in the flat and i thought oh, i'm using it up it's gonna be delicious we're gonna have a cake that we can mm -hmm. share with people during the week the whole thing went in the bin and oh. like i'm never truly ever throw food away we eat the most ridiculous meals at home because i just don't want to waste mm -hmm. anything and then epic fill oh that's such a shame especially because when you think of cake like even if you burn it or it looks a bit weird usually it tastes good exactly you can do something with it to make the best of it this was there was no hope for this Aww. it was truly disgusting i must have done something fundamentally wrong because the whole of the texture of the cake was wrong that's but i'd shame. even gone to i'd iced it and everything mm -hmm. just like elaborate icing and then cut into it and we were like this is awful Oh no. Well, next time stick to carrot cake and bring some round for when we next record. That would be great. Well, I'm an absolute pro at a carrot cake now. Yeah, I should do. Just stick to what you know. There we go. <laughs> All right. So I chose the topic for this week and I thought it would be best to start with a couple of questions. So Becky, when was the last time you clean, cleaned and polished a pair of shoes? So, so polished a pair of shoes. Oh gosh, I I don't think I have done that. Maybe I must have done it. Maybe not, though. Actually, now I remember, it was when I was in Sea Cadet, which is really embarrassing to admit, <laughs> when I was about 13 years old and I had to polish my boots for Sea Cadets. That is awesome. However, I was telling you before this that I actually bought some really nice pale grey suede shoes for my wedding with the like the intention of being able to reuse them again if Amazing. I need to wear them to like a, a, kind of a an evening out like I wore them to a, a fancy Christmas party or I've worn them to like a, a when I've had to a formal meeting and work mm -hmm. got like a little suede brush um and some special spray for mm -hmm. them that is awesome okay I just love that you deliberately bought wedding shoes and aiming to use them again you are my idol that's awesome um and what's the oldest item of clothing that you own so I've been I'm trying to have a think so I think it's probably a cardigan that like a little sort of shrug cardigan that's well past its sell by date that I bought from like MK1 when I was about 15 so it's probably almost 15 years old and do you still wear it uh yes I do um I have had to fix holes in it a couple of times nice. around the neck area um it definitely doesn't get as much wear as it used to mm -hmm. but it does still come out with the wardrobe every now and then that is awesome and final question do you have any furniture or kitchen utensils which are more than 10 years old uh, so I have to say no to that, but having lived in shade furnished accommodation for the majority of my life after moving out of my parents' house, since um, my husband and I moved into our first flat like a couple of years ago, that's the first time that we invested in buying nice furniture. So now I've got nice furniture that I'm hoping that mm. in, well, we're almost four years in now, so in another sort of six, seven years time, we'll still have it. That's wonderful. That's great. Anyway, so the reason I asked you those questions about your clothes and how long you've owned them for and polishing shoes is because this week's topic um, is the responsible stewardship of materials. Is that something you've heard of before, Becky? Uh, not that term, I must say. Okay, so we're going to focus on the responsible stewardship of our belongings. Um, and that's, so that's the things we own and use in our everyday life. And responsible stewardship is about 
extending the life expectancy of your belongings as much as possible. So it's essentially valuing the time, materials and transportation that's gone into making the things that we own and also the materials and time and transportation that will go into their disposal. And that and having that value means that we want to try and extend the life of what we own for as long as possible and get as much use out of it as we can. But without becoming like a hoarder. Well, that's so interesting you just said that because we're going to talk a little bit about hoarding later on. Uh, Responsible Stewardship of Materials, RSM, I think is probably easier to say. Um, It's an academic term and I read about it during my master's degree. And it's about finding a balance between owning enough stuff, whatever you want your stuff to be, and taking care of your belongings so that you can extend their life by storing them thoughtfully and then disposing of them carefully and I guess I just want to start with a caveat that a lot of this conversation today is going to be about our consumption it's so interesting that you just brought up hoarding straight away um consumption I think sometimes can get a bad rap and it makes it sound as if through the responsible stewardship and the different uh, initiatives we're going to talk about today that consumption is bad Mm -hmm. but actually consumption is necessary let's just say consumption is necessary for our lives which it is consumption is not materialism it's not the same thing we're not talking about this narcissistic idea of owning as much as possible and showing off to people Mm -hmm. they're completely different concepts we're just talking about are we being conscious consumers and are we considering the life of the things that we own Mm -hmm. hopefully that makes sense so we're going to discuss a few different terms like zero waste, minimalism, hoarding, and the Marie method, um, which has been made famous by Marie Kondo. Um, we'll talk about their challenges, benefits, uh, contradictions, and some of the common criticisms of them, and how all of these terms and initiatives and ideas relate back to the responsible stewardship of materials. So let's start by talking about minimalism. There's a documentary about minimalism on Netflix, Becky, have you had, have you watched it? No, so I've been meaning to, particularly because I think minimalism often is understood as, you know, just these beautiful open white spaces mm-hmm. where nobody owns any rubbish or crap that sits around their house and they just live in a really tiny space. So I was hoping to, but I'm sorry, I haven't got around to it yet. That's no problem. So I'll describe the documentary for you. So there's these two guys, Joshua and Ryan, um, and essentially they've reduced their possessions um, and asked themselves some some really big questions about the relationship between what they own and how they live. I do find it interesting that as a topic minimalism and particularly that documentary features quite a lot of men that is interesting whereas the zero waste movement seems to be fairly dominated by women mm-hmm. i couldn't tell you why there's a difference i've just sort of spotted it but i think actually there is some kind of research or study that looked into that because a lot of these things are related to like domestic Okay. Issues. So it's usually maybe around like household products, yeah. um, which we'll talk a bit more later, recycling. It's just things that maybe is more considered in the de- domestic realm, yeah. which inevitably women. is related more to women. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, and then, yeah, so these Joshua and Ryan have asked themselves which belongings are adding value to their life. And it's not necessarily linked to what they use. They're just saying, does this item add value? But in the documentary, it's kind of what you've just described in that they show their homes and where they're living now. And it's pretty sparse and it's quite modern looking. And to be honest, quite 
extreme, I think. They've mm -hmm. gone to a particular extent of really having the absolute bare minimum of what they need in order to live a normal, in inverted commas, Western lifestyle, which I think is one of the common criticisms is that this isn't livable, this is really extreme. I think good on them, like it's great what they've done. But yeah, I guess there isn't much discussion about how they must have to take better care of the items that they own because mm -hmm. they own less stuff. Yeah. But that isn't the environmental side of minimalism isn't really discussed in the documentary. Okay, and then in terms of the stuff that they do own, is it? I, I'm just wondering about the accessibility, accessibility and the cost, and you know, do they have these you know really fancy houses or um quite you know expensive pieces of furniture or things that they've got that maybe are not available to everybody that's a really good point i don't think they've really made it too clear whether they're living a, they have quite affluent belongings but from what i understand um actually i'm going to give you a recommendation so there's a book called the overspent american mm -hmm. and it's by a sociology professor juliet shaw okay. and juliet features in the minimalism oh, documentary right. but this book isn't like an academic book it, mm -hmm. it is part of the curriculum in universities but it's a really accessible normal book to read she talks in this book about voluntary simplicity and downshifting okay and what are those things <laughs> so essentially what joshua and ryan have done in their minimalism efforts is voluntary simplicity and downshifting so they the reason that they've decided to become minimalists is because they saw a relationship between wanting to get a better paid job so that they could buy more stuff so that they could buy new stuff and it was just this rat race with themselves mm -hmm. and they were uncomfortable with the way they were living so they didn't just reduce what they own they also downshifted like left their jobs and downshifted to a lesser salary a smaller home and then their whole life reduced and their worries reduced they moved away from the growth model they moved away from a consumption focused lifestyle um so i find that quite positive what they've done but they don't describe themselves as voluntary simpl simplicists what would the word be some simplicity simplifiers. people simplifiers that's much better voluntary simplifiers mm -hmm. or downshifters but from what i understand from reading the book like that is essentially what they've done and that probably makes sense as to why Juliet features in the documentary but yeah in answer to your question they don't really describe whether they're there for I think maybe actually they do say I'd rather buy one really good quality shirt that I love than buy six which is a fair point but you have to have the money available in order yeah. to buy that up front so yeah there is a bit of a disconnect there and not so much of a discussion of how much it costs to live like that yeah and just acknowledging the, uh, what do you call it the voluntary simplicity, simplicity and downshifting yeah. that's not a practical solution for everybody I guess yeah I guess your not life, for I, your family I, and your lifestyle and that sort of thing that's it I mean as growing up with uh, my dad was out of work for quite a while and I've always had this idea of and and it's true really like you adapt to whatever you earn mm -hmm. so if you do obviously like lower your salary and take a pay cut then you adjust how you live accordingly yeah. so I guess it is possible for people to do that but it's a massive decision isn't it and there are you don't necessarily I guess you've raised a really good point you don't have to be a minimalist or a downshifter in order to reduce your consumption we'll go on to this later but you don't have to get rid of everything you own in order to be more environmentally friendly if anything that's the exact opposite of what you yeah. could be doing 
not take too much away from this particular point, but considering we come from probably quite similar communities, yeah, true. Who's being in the north, mine being from Wales, mm-hmm. in terms of when you're living, maybe maybe kind of less sort of money orientated communities or where there's not so much money I do think actually there's something then that's maybe implicit in your mind or when you're thinking about when you're an adult about what you think is like about security Mm -hmm. and comfort and that's not always about like buying loads of stuff but just associating yeah your kind of financial comfort and security with kind of like you know the type of house you might want to live in or the job that you've got Um, it's a really good point actually because most of when I was doing my degree a lot of I was really interested in the things that people buy and responsible stewardship but it's all intrinsically psychologically Mm -hmm. linked to who we are and our identities so your past experiences as a child will feed into whether or not you're the sort of person that's likely to be a big consumer Mm -hmm. or actually much more focused on security etc etc like you've just said financial stability When it comes to the minimalism concept, there's very little discussion of the challenges that there might be to Mm -hmm. people being able to do this. And there seems to be quite a large focus on getting rid of stuff, which I don't know about you, but do you have people say you ask people at work, how was your weekend? And they might say, oh, we've just done a massive clear out. And, you know, it's just so therapeutic. I feel so much better. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm a bit uncomfortable with that concept now because it's. I think there probably is research psychologically to say that we have we have too much stuff and you can feel better when you have a clear out. Mm-hmm. But there's a real disconnect between if you continue to consume on mass or consume a lot of stuff, you're going to need to have clear outs pretty frequently in order to have that therapy of feeling better. And actually, we should just be consuming less. And when we get rid of stuff, where does it go? How are we getting rid of it? And there's a broader conversation to be had about you might feel better giving your old clothes to charity, but if you've barely ever worn those clothes and they're of pretty poor quality, the charity shop won't want them, even if you've barely worn them. Yeah. And so they end up getting shipped to um, third world countries, which prevents their economies from growing in, and they end up with a lot of waste that still mm-hmm. doesn't get used. So we just dump, we think, oh, we're d- well, it's fine because we're giving away our stuff secondhand to charity, but they'll keep the best of the stuff to sell in this country and then masses of stuff gets wasted um, yeah. and shipped away from here out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, so obviously that's bad, but then it also raises the point of not having the infrastructure to deal with that. So there's a two-sided thing. Yes, clothes production is huge and um, it's like a massive environmental issue, but also not having the infrastructure to be able to deal with it. Absolutely. And it, yeah, I mean, that's a broader discussion, isn't there? Maybe yeah. even in one week we can talk about us versus larger infrastructures. And every week we talk about the things that we can do and the solutions to problems, but there's always within this intrinsically going to be, well, actually, lo- larger corporations are the problem or you know, infrastructure and waste management are the problem. Mm -hmm. It's a really good point. Um, So the positives I found of the minimalism concept is that it really starts a conversation with yourself about the unhealthy relationship we can have with wanting more stuff or replacing stuff with new, that new is better. Mm -hmm. Even if something's still functional, you replace it with a newer version. 
So the, the demand that we have as human beings of for stuff far outreaches at supply, which is why, let's see, Tim Dechant, I've probably pronounced that wrong, he's probably French and it's Chant. <laughs> uh, in 2012, he made an infographic um, and looked at... For example, if we all on this planet lived like the average American, we would need 4.1 Earths in order to have this enough resource to cover how much we use. Ah, so that's like that, the Earth Day thing. So it's yeah. like the point at which we get into the year where we've like used all our resources. Yeah. And it gets earlier and earlier every year. Yeah, because it's roughly, on average, 1.5 Earths, if we took an average of how everybody lives. I think the UK, on this infographic, and I mean, this is from 2012, the UK was 32nd on the list. 2.4 Earths would be required in order Which, to considering how much smaller we are than mm-hmm. America, mm-hmm. Um, and actually we're only half as bad, you would consider that we should be less than that because we are tiny compared to yeah but we essentially individually still live quite similarly to americans in in many respects yes that's all to do with your own ecological footprint okay so that's minimalism the next concept that's to discuss is zero waste becky you're a big social media person so i'm guessing that you've heard of this Yes, definitely. Um, Particularly on Instagram, I think the zero waste movement is quite popular. Um, A lot of the imagery is is quite similar. So you're looking at people like lying on the beach um, that's surrounded by like a frame of the trash that they found on the beach, Um, which obviously is visually it does have an impact but then when you start seeing that image being replicated Mm. sometimes it's like oh is this a social media influencer you know doing this or is it because actually they really want to make a point I don't know um but yeah there's lots about it in terms of thinking about like the products that we use like buying in bulk um and um switching out products which I don't know if we were going to talk about that now or not okay so we can so um I think I've got a massive problem with people wanting to switch from plastic to metal in terms of their containers and and reusable water bottles more so not because I think plastic is better however if you're already owning we've all got that dreaded container cupboard where you open it and it falls on your face every time if it's above your head um that's full of like your tupperware or the containers you've had from the takeaway mm-hmm. and that we use for our lunches etc and i think actually by just suggesting that you should kind of like discard that and buy new metal and glass containers um when actually those products still have life in them i have a real problem with that i agree you're absolutely right so the zero waste movement began effectively by a woman called Bea Johnson um, she has a blog and a book called zero waste home and back in 2008 she felt a real discomfort with how much her and her family threw away so she started this idea of lowering her consumption focusing on reusing stuff as much as possible being package free like you say mm-hmm. buying in bulk and instead of there being the three R's so reduce reuse recycle she says there are more, more, there are two more. So recycle, but only when you can't refuse, reduce, reuse and rot. So I think in that original concept, I think that sounds great. Like definitely the reuse part, mm-hmm. um, even though I struggle maybe with the rot part personally to be able to do that effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the concept of it, that sounds 
that sounds quite good but uh it would just add sometimes then when you're living in like big cities like um like we do yeah. it can be really hard to do that we were only talking earlier about uh the fact that we we both buy the who gives a crap uh, toilet paper yeah. which is an excellent product um not sponsored to say that obviously <laughs> um but actually it's really hard when you get when you live in a small flat and then 40 toilet rolls arrive through your door and where on earth do you store them um and then all of a sudden you have toilet rolls coming out of every cupboard that you own we've got some toilet roll towers just balancing <laughs> in the wardrobe tentatively yeah but it is a great product but you're right if you buy in bulk where's the space necessarily for that stuff to go it doesn't work for everyone and then the other point is um which we've talked about before um is recycling so depending on again even if you live in a city that's got like different boroughs or mm-hmm. areas the infrastructure of the recycling can be quite challenging so i can appreciate why the reducing the reuse is obviously a really important part of zero yeah. waste yeah absolutely and then so basically bear johnson started this movement and the next biggest person that i'm aware of there are many many zero wasters on social media and not adopting this lifestyle but the next biggest and most famous i would say is lauren singer and she lives in new york i should have said bear lives in the west coast of america um and her blog is called trash is for tossers and she focuses <laughs> a lot on her blog about or she did it's kind of all changed now but um the easy wins of how to be package free she gives a lot of hints and tips about make but how to buy secondhand. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, until I started, I tried some of these zero waste methods and I'd never been to charity shops and bought secondhand clothes before. But as someone who hates shopping, going into a charity shop where all of the size eight products that I need are in one shelf, I can just look through, is there anything I'm interested yeah. in? No, leave. It's a much more efficient way of shopping for me. Um, and I feel better knowing that I'm getting secondhand stuff. It encouraged me. I used to buy books every month um, and now I've been going to my I'm really lucky I live in Tower Hamlets in London and they have idea stores which are like libraries so I rent out and you know uh, loan is the word I'm looking for loan um, library books uh, constantly now and obviously we, we return them mm-hmm. so somebody else can use them and that's be, really been an in, encouraged by reading Lauren Singer's blog and Bea Johnson's so it's really good in the zero waste encourages you to think about your consumption but one of the barriers I've found is the refuse element. So of those five R's that Bayer encourages, I find the refuse bit really difficult. And it can be things like refusing free samples of stuff. That's fairly easy to do. Yeah. But when it comes to, and I know friends as well who've adopted this method now, asking people, please, no presents mm-hmm. for my birthday or no presents for Christmas or, you know, I'm looking at everything I own and... Yeah, and that's another topic that we could probably do a whole uh, podcast on this gifting. So that's zero waste. It's buying in bulk where you can, package free. Um, I guess Bayer takes it to some extremes of going and getting bread from bakeries in, and bagging them up in fabric um, bags that she takes. Um, and she's, I guess, really famous for introducing the concept of people taking glass containers and getting their butcher yeah. or um, their cheese company, like cheese shop or their cheese counter at their supermarket to put them directly into there so there's no packaging yeah which is great um and i feel like with all these things we always have this caveat of how accessible it is for people so you know going to a but um going to a butcher's and buying meat is not always possible for Mm -hmm. particularly for big families you need to buy it by by more meat um or similarly with bread like bread fresh bread from the bakers is delicious but um Mm -hmm. it is a little bit more expensive and so it's not always the 
exactly exactly option and i have to say we've tried going to like we we are really fortunate that we have like a cheese shop fairly within close mm-hmm. walking distance um and when we've gone with our pots before thankfully they've been really supportive That's about good. it um but there's a real barrier to overcome in taking it with you and asking them and trying not to look embarrassed and being forceful enough that they'll actually do it because you can get some resistance but yeah generally it's good because it gets you thinking about consumption but as we've said it can be expensive it's not for everyone and you need the storage space so one of the final things to talk about is hoarding becky brought this up in the beginning and i'm so glad you did um hoarding as a term has quite a bad reputation um the programs on tv that we all know about show the extreme cases generally of people with like where they're having a psychological and emotional relationship with their belongings um and i guess that kind of drives home that culture of having a clear out makes you feel better mm-hmm. and that that's that's the positive therapeutic thing to do and that keeping stuff isn't um and i have a bit of a problem with that because actually i think it's okay to keep your belongings provided that you're thinking to yourself am i going to use these again and if there's a chance you think you will use them again are you storing them in a way that their materiality will stay in good condition so that you can use them again in the future so they can't rot they can't rust um they can't get water damaged are you looking after your items and i just don't think that the stigma of hoarding really helps us because it just these this therapeutic let's get rid of everything throwing things away is not an environmentally friendly thing to do we want to get as much life out of the belongings that we have as possible and really consider the things that you are buying the initial stage of what are you bringing into your home asking yourself some like major questions about that so yeah it's about keeping stuff storing it correctly repairing stuff making conscious consumer decisions about how long you're going to own stuff for what it's made from and where it's come from and well that's responsible stewardship and i see hoarding as actually being negatively stigmatizing and making responsible stewardship harder does that make sense yeah that makes sense yeah yeah so the challenges of responsible stewardship is that sometimes it's not easy it's certainly not always convenient to be a conscious consumer and it definitely takes me longer to think about I put a lot of thought into, for example, my purse fell apart about 10 months ago. This is <laughs> this is extreme. My purse fell apart and I really wanted to think about where do I want to buy a new purse from? What's the right shape? How heavy is it going to be? Yeah. Um, what do I want it to be made from? And so I've spent so long thinking about it, I just haven't replaced it. And everyone at work thinks it's hilarious that I just carry cards loose in the bottom of my bag um, and like coins in a little money bag. Not that really I ever have coins but if i have them then they're just loose everywhere um so yeah it can you it kind of takes me longer to consume stuff now and it's not necessarily a bad thing in that it's made me more patient it's slowed my pace of life down um but it can be sometimes not that easy to take the time to repair stuff and be a conscious consumer and make sure that stuff's stored properly yeah like i would say one of the things that we might also talk about another time is like consumption of like clothes and fast fashion that sort of things but as I've got older um particularly around when you get things that fit particularly well Mm -hmm. or really comfortable um I think you do at least I've made a bit more of an effort like this I've got a couple of pairs of shoes that I've had repaired multiple times um because their quality is good and they fit me well and it's you know I'd rather that than to buy another cheap pair to replace them so But like we say, even that can be difficult because it can be expensive to get stuff repaired and things. That's true. Okay, so the final thing to mention was uh, the Japanese tidying up expert Marie Kondo. Um, So she's developed the KonMari method. You've heard of her? Yeah, I've seen a couple of the episodes on Netflix. What did you think? 
so as with any reality TV programme, particularly American reality TV programmes, they're obviously heavily produced. So I kind of found it a bit weird. Um, she came in, she spent a little bit of time with the family, but I don't think it spent enough time or kind of like explaining and exploring what her method was and what was behind it. Mm -hmm. It was more about this family who needed to get rid of loads of stuff. Um, and then like some, yeah, so I don't know, I'm not sure... I completely knew what her intent was and whom the method of her intent was or whether that was conflated by the, the production value of the show. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean, yeah. Generally, it seems to be people who are overwhelmed by their belongings and sort of feel a resentment to them and that's impacting the way, the quality of their life. Marie comes in and the only thing I've been able to pick up is that she makes people go through all of their belongings, yeah, gets them out to see how definitely. many are there. And then she asks them which of the items still bring them love and joy. Yeah. Um, and that is really nice that she then says, thank that item. If you've decided you're going to get rid of it, thank it for what it's done for you. And then like formulate a pile of things that are to get rid of yeah. so that you can reduce what you own. But there's very little discussion about what actually happens to the items when you get rid of them, how... Even after she's been there and their houses look beautiful and everything's been reduced and it's organised and they feel great, the only way they're going to maintain that method is by reducing their overall consumption. Yeah, um, and I do say, I do agree with what you're saying, but I also would hope that if you're really taking time to consider the value and joy that your products bring you, that are you going to be thinking those things when you next go to buy something? So, so why are you going to be thinking about the joy that that item is going to bring you? I don't know, mm. but um, you would hope then that that's kind of settles in your mind a bit, just a bit like, you know, I mean, not trying to buy as many clothes, thinking, do I really need that? What's yeah. it made out of? Is it going to last? That sort of thing. Yeah. So I don't know for sure, but I would yeah. hope. You would hope so, wouldn't you? And I think you're right. It's been so mass-produced, the, the intent behind it, and whether or not that is then a mantra that continues on of, I'm not going to buy this because I don't think it's going to bring joy to my life and I want to value it and thank it. You would hope that that continues in those people's lives. Maybe they'll end up being like Grand Designs where they go back <laughs> to people years later and say, are you still con marine your clothes and tidying up everything but yeah it's another it's just interesting that all of these initiatives you know minimalism zero waste lifestyles con marie they're all looking at the way that we live with our belongings um and really only zero waste is particularly environmentally focused and they all have their challenges but at least they all get us thinking about how we consume yeah like, definitely i think is the way I, I wanted to sort of round that up um so i guess it might be nice to end with some top tips that would be good. Um, so I put down a few here. I think you did a share and swap thing at yeah, your yeah, Roller Derby team. Yeah, so um, we did a swap shop. Um, it was kind of partly for charity um, and um, it meant that we took some items. We also came home with items. And actually, um, this weekend just gone, um, we did a bit of a bring and buy sale um, that we were donating all of the proceeds of that from charity, which was really great. I would just put add the caveat of actually when people then actually bring stuff, you realise how much stuff everybody has. Yeah. And so it's impossible actually to get rid of everything or in terms of or swap everything. Mm -hmm. or, um, so you still end up having a big bulk of stuff that will end up in that charity shop. Yeah. To be fair, like both of them I've been involved with, the stuff has all been like pretty good quality. So That's I would great. imagine it is stuff that could easily sell on. Mm -hmm. um, 
if taken to a charity shop. Um, but yeah, it does just show you the volumes of things that people do. Yeah, own. interesting. So I guess that's our, our first hint would be, is there an option somewhere for you to share your clothes or your belongings with other people or swap them when you're, um, rather than giving them to charity in the first instance? Um, are there other people that you can share things with? My partner's sister tends to give me, like the vast majority of my clothes were hers, which is, I'm so grateful to her for that. Yeah, how to be a con conscious consumer? Well, ask yourself, how long do you think this product is likely to last me? How much am I going to wear it? This can get really difficult to do and it can get complicated, but provided that you're not, I mean, the idea is you don't buy something knowing that you're really only going to mm -hmm. use it once. That's that's an issue. We don't have to make ourselves feel really guilty and find every item that we buy that difficult. Just aim to not use things like very few times. And I'd like to try and see the culture change away from new is better to I've had this item for 12 years and I feel proud of that. Like, let's try and move away from because we've all got it, this innate pride of what's new yeah. in our lives. But actually, I like to try and make a point when someone says, oh, I like your dress. Actually, I got it from a charity shop That's or I've, yeah, I've owned it for a long time. And I definitely see more of that. I definitely think when you're living in more urban areas, particularly things like London and or maybe other cities, that there is more of an acceptance of that. Like yeah. definitely from kind of smaller hometown community, didn't feel there was as much of an acceptance for buying things from charity That's shops. Interesting. And just yeah, true. what the connotations has is that around kind of, you know, like your poverty or your wealth and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's true. I've definitely felt some of that as well. I know what you're talking about. And then just, I guess, a tip in terms of buying things as somebody, as I keep saying, <laughs> who is trying not to buy as much clothes. If you like do a lot of online shopping, put it in your basket. If you come back to it several hours later or the next day and you know you really want it, go for it but I would say 99% of the time I will put it in my basket I do not come back to it and I like to, I totally forget about that item so that's awesome and I guess the final top tip would be maybe like we said last week it's always good to challenge yourself and I guess the challenge would be here um, uh, is if you're trying to increase the longevity of something look at the things around in your home what can you repair what can you do differently to increase the life of that item I'm going to give one example because I keep telling everyone about it I didn't know until this year that you're generally supposed to keep the door of your washing machine and the drawer of your washing machine open all the time it makes perfect sense now like obviously you have to wash out your washing machine and it can get moldy in there but if you leave them open the mold doesn't tend to happen because you're not enclosing that moisture in the space mm -hmm. and it kind of annoys me because we're in a one bedroom flat and we have to have the door to the wardrobe where the washing machine is stored yeah, open same. all the time in order for that to happen but in the past sort of nine months that we've done this it's, there's no smell from the washing machine there's very less significantly less lime scale and there's significantly less mold and like dirt growing in the drawer and stuff um so it just feels much cleaner and much nicer and we're increasing the longevity of that washing machine as a result um so that's just one thing i guess it's just looking around at the things that you own what can you repair what can you increase the life of um how can you responsibly steward the things that you own and actually it might not always be as expensive as you think it is like i think to clothes I think you can, sometimes if you've got some holes you can't do it yourself, you can get that repaired quite cheaply. Shoes can be a bit more expensive, mm -hmm. but it's definitely if you've got like a £150 pair of boots, for example, like I have, okay, I've, I've resold them twice, that's cost me 20 or so pounds, but actually it means that I do that once a year um, and I'm not having to spend yeah, true. that much money. Yeah, and this, yeah. actually I went to a, what are they called? Cobblers? What's yeah. The guy? yeah. <laughs> um, I went to a cobbler and was talking to them about 
because essentially you're going to need to repair your shoes less often if you take care of them. So obviously polishing and looking after them is like quite an old school idea, but mm -hmm. that is fundamentally what you need to do for good quality shoes. And also not kicking them off the, the back of your feet because yeah. it totally destroys the back of the shoe. It's just such a strange thing that you just don't, you take for granted. It's mm -hmm. something my nana had a go at me about as a kid, <laughs> like don't kick your shoes off, take them off properly. But those little things, ideas that have gone by the wayside that we've kind of forgotten about or don't do in our everyday life could extend the life of things and then you don't have to repair them as often or don't have to buy new. Okay, so as usual, um, we will post any links to books or references that we think would be interesting and useful. This has been Horde of the Things, episode two of Confessions of an Eco-Warrior. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>